0: Welcome to Afternoons. With me, I'm Bill Arnold. I'm awfully uh, excited about today, and I love our time together. And if you are uh, just climbing into your car, drive safely, uh, keep your eyes on the road. And, you know, I just was talking to a listener today who had what was almost a completely near-fatal accident, but she was paying attention and was able to divert it. That makes me happy. Uh, Just let's be extra careful as we're on the road uh, today and over the weekend because there's a lot of distracted drivers, and some drivers simply don't obey traffic laws, and sometimes they run lights, and uh, it's our job to be on the defense. So there's my driving lesson for the day, and that comes complimentary, all free. All right, uh, Kim Cattola is going to be joining me in just a minute, Uh, so I'm looking forward to speaking to her, and I want to go to a verse in Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. An assurance about we we do not see. So what an awesome thing faith is. What a great gift it is that God has given us faith that we can rest in the assurance of our faith. Let's do that today all day. Let me take a little break and then bring Kim
1: on. Hi, I'm Neil Stave, manager of Faith Radio. Now, now that we're in the middle of summer, I'm reminded that we live in the land of seasons. Right now, there's a lot more hot than cold and more sun than clouds. But regardless of the season, the Apostle Paul reminds us to share the gospel. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word in season and out. One translation tells us to keep our sense of urgency. Here at Faith Radio, we're committed to preaching and teaching God's word daily, consistently, faithfully. And it's your prayer and financial support that enable us to fulfill this mission. And many of you partner with us as ongoing monthly givers, funding the ministry through every season. Those of you who stand with us day in and day out, thank you. Your gifts provide the financial base to keep Faith Radio strong. And if you're ready to join our support team and keep Faith Radio spreading the good news, make a gift today at myfaithradio.com or call 877-93-FAITH. Thanks.
0: Kim Cattola is such a great, great friend of Faith Radio and has been on the air uh, for a long, long time, and she is uh, a pro-life uh, advocate, and she uh, helps women heal from abortions and is always compassionate and caring, and I always love talking to her. Kim, welcome back to the show.
2: Hey, Bill. It's good to talk with you, yeah. too.
0: Where's the best place for people to find you nowadays? Where
2: would they go well, on the web? You know, everything's still archived at cradlemyheart.org. Okay. And I'm occasionally still posting on social media, on Facebook and Twitter, maybe weekly or every other week. I yeah. we try to put something up there. So, um, yeah, check my check my Facebook and Twitter or the website itself. Um,
0: what about abortion uh, recovery support?
2: Well, okay, that's that's what I'm doing. But it's mostly a local resource. But that's uh, my volunteer position. I'm leading I'm leading that outreach of the Fayette Pregnancy Resource Center. And so we're offering Bible study groups. And we have another one coming up starting in September, which will be our third group we've offered this year, which I'm kind of excited about that. We um, you know, we know the need is there, but it's been very difficult, I know, for many ministry leaders. To be able to invite women and coax them from their isolation and mm-hmm. hurt and grief um to get them into these recovery circles, and so yeah i'm I'm helping to lead one of those um in the local area here near Peachtree City where I live
0: yeah, and you are using your gifts for god's glory, so
2: you know and it's interesting, Bill, because it's such a different dynamic than broadcasting mm-hmm. right I'm sure like it's like live theater versus broadcasting. Right you're sitting you're sitting in a room talking to yourself basically <laughs> the microphone yeah, right uh i i don't even have a producer here okay i'm literally in a room talking to myself uh, and you <laughs> but um when you make that switch to doing live face to face ministry um and it becomes a literal audience of one or two mm-hmm. people you know and you can you can see their reactions and truly interact with one another and and you really watch hope begin to dawn on someone's face it's just an amazing thing and for me i think the whole thing you know i've been doing a lot of uh help with the grandkids this summer too and this year and you know th- these are these are hours spent in obscurity right mm-hmm. you're saying no to the three-year-old for the fourth time in the hour and you're Wiping up a mess again and, you know, no one's really, no one really pays attention or cares that this is <laughs> how you're spending your time compared to being on the radio, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have an audience and people are, you're getting paid, you know, uh, but.
0: Well, you might've been getting paid, but not me.
2: <laughs> Sorry, man. It's all right. That hurt a little. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I, it, I just have such a different perspective and granted I am a grandmother, mm-hmm. but I loved my career and I loved, you know, being in the world of work yeah but there's just something that's so, so satisfying about motherhood and grandmotherhood that our culture has really lost, you know, and this idea of women in the political sphere and everywhere else saying, you know uh, that you know women are need abortion, and that's it. you know uh, Narrell has a tweet up on their timeline this today, women are people. this is not up for debate. what? you know as if someone's trying to deny that you're a woman by saying you should go ahead and have your child the very thing that marks female personhood
3: mm-hmm.
2: before the whole lgbt trans i don't know anyway well I mean, it's far- probably a controversial remark too right that pregnancy yeah, and yeah. motherhood marks marks womanhood <laughs> but it is yeah right yeah but i mean I, i'm just saying i i'm I, Lately, the dignity of motherhood has just been so apparent to me, you know, pouring ourselves into little ones, preparing their future. It's mm-hmm. got to be so meaningful in their lives and in our lives as well, because they're such good little teachers. The moment you become impatient, they'll show you. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, I just, I've got a really different perspective on things Yeah. Um, this summer.
0: But in the broadcasting world, you were just simply the best, and now that you are doing the ministry that God has laid on your heart, when I think of you interacting with uh, people coming to this Bible study, I'm amazed because that's, you know, we're analog uh, beings living in a digital world, and when you get face-to-face with people and you can touch and hug and see their eyes and help wipe their tears, you can really make a difference in discipling them.
2: Oh, my goodness. Listening is so important Mm -hmm. and being able to hear the stories and enter into their pain and, um, you know, avoid that temptation to carry that pain and instead take it all in prayer to the Lord and allow him to do that healing. It's yeah, you're right. It's um, it's so satisfying. And uh, I know that it's, um, you know, part of God's purpose for me. Um, we, We may be coming back with a weekly broadcast. I'm still... Working on that and trying to discern that, I know the need is still there for pro-life voices on, you know, on the radio dial. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I want to encourage young women in particular, you know, watching Lucy and uh, who's three and Finley, who's four play with their dollies, right? Th- their whole thing is to be the mommy, mm-hmm. right? And to, to you know, um, do for their for their dollies what their mommy is doing for them. But, wow, by the time that girls are entering into middle school and high school, no one's talking to them about motherhood as a career path or as a vocation even, right? Right. No one's, it's like you're you're encouraged. Well, what job do you want outside the home? What career? Right. And mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that either. Like I said, I had one not. for uh, almost 40 years. Nothing like, wrong. Yeah. Bill, I was on the radio so long. <laughs> <laughs> As I've said, people were like, "How can we miss you if you won't go away?" <laughs> I was there every day yes. for a lot of years, you know. But um, so I'm not taking anything away from what we can accomplish outside the home. But wow, I'd really like to inspire girls who love to nurture and who understand the importance of motherhood. That that that's a great pursuit. That that's a really good use of their time mm-hmm. and, and fra- talents. And
0: frankly, Kim, the world needs lots of gentle. Persuasive voices like yourself, because I'm looking at um a a tweet that came out and it was written by the President. He said virtually every top Democrat also now supports taxpayer funded abortion right up to the moment of birth, ripping babies straight from the mother's womb, and he's gotten a tremendous amount of backlash because um people don't like that language
2: well they don't you're yeah, right they don't want it that exposed or put into those words or that clearly stated. But he's exactly right. That is the policy that's been the policy since Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton, both of which were, you know, government by fiat, by the Supreme Court rulings. They were never written into law or debated by any legislative bodies. The Supreme Court made those decisions based on a right of privacy that they discerned in the Constitution, which has been kind of difficult for others to find in the in the aftermath. By the way... No uterus, no voice, right? The corollary Mm -hmm. to my body, my choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, All men made that decision, ladies. Right. Those were nine male Supreme Court justices in 1973. And so, yeah, I mean, Dovey Bolton, the companion ruling, uh, said any reason, Bill, any reason. Could be psychological, could be emotional, could be, you know, she has a fragile mental health issue. And all it took was one doctor to agree with that. And up to the moment of birth, destroy the child, which is, you know, pro-life obstetricians will tell you there's never a justification for that. Mm -hmm. If the mother's life is at risk, you do an emergency cesarean birth and then you, you know, help her with her, with her life-threatening condition. You don't have to kill the child to save the mother. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I mean, it's absurd. And it's, um, (sighs) we have to keep speaking out. And I, I, you know, I applaud President Trump and anybody else who calls it what it is, you know, killing children right up to moments before their birth. It's been the law of the land since 1973. Some states have managed to, you know, legislate in a way that it may not unfold in that exact way in their states. But there are places in the country right now where that's absolutely the truth.
0: All mm-hmm. All right, Kim, let me take a very short break. When I come back, I'd like to ask you about uh, a lesson that we could maybe learn from a pre-Roe v. Wade experience. All right? Kim yeah, Cattola is my guest. We'll take a short break and we'll be back in 90 seconds. ¶¶ Kim Catola is my guest. She's on our studio line, and and uh, right before break, Kim, I was wondering if you could maybe offer a perspective on a on a pre Roe v Wade experience.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Men can't be silent on abortion rights.
2: So, I mean, I think if men, again, it's the no no uterus, no voice, right? You know, so. Men have every right to have an opinion about abortion because, first of all, every child has, uh, you know, a father. And men have no legal standing in the lives of their children before birth because of the Roe v. Wade ruling. They have no legal standing, you know. And so I mean, people think that women have equal rights. I mean, women need equal rights to men. Mm-hmm. And they won't have equal opportunity in employment or education because they can get pregnant and men can't. So, therefore, they have to be able to destroy their children to be equal to men, right? <laughs> it included in that ruling is that men have no st- standing legally in the lives of their children before their birth. I mean, and most men don't know that. I don't know. I mean, I think if most men knew that, there might be—I I hope there would be a more of a, 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 vo- a voicing of protest, of dissent from men— um, I hope that this doesn't equal men, uh, you know, l- liberating themselves from their responsibility as fathers. I don't know, Bill. Uh, but yeah, the, the bullying that goes on around abortion is, um, it, there's just one more aspect to it mm-hmm. that men need to be quiet. Men can't have an opinion. Uh, men are trying to oppress women if they want to defend life before birth. Um, We've gotten to a pass where instead of women, because they have the added responsibility of motherhood, right, (laughs) that they should be more protective of their children. Instead, they want to shake off all responsibility Mm -hmm. and behave as if the children are their property. And, um, you know, because they're housed within their bodies, which is how women actually speak about it. And uh, for this to be, you know, some sort of social justice is is again absurd where's the justice for that child where's the justice for that father where's where, where else would anyone who calls himself uh a person interested in social justice frame another human being as property i mean it just yeah. it, it it makes no sense it's it's logically incoherent and of course it's moral idiocy
0: i agree so um because planned parenthood will you know Always, they're always going to be wanting to do abortions because that's their business. And when there are botched abortions, because it is a dangerous procedure, procedure, uh, they've done a a pretty good job of trying to hide these problems from the health department, haven't they?
2: Well, they have, and you know, the and health departments in some states have done a better job than others of monitoring that. But I mean, California does no abortion reporting whatsoever. The Centers for Disease Control compiles information from states who, which uh, report voluntarily. California does not, nor does Maryland. And Maryland is one of the six or seven states, or maybe eight, that will allow abortions up to the moment of birth. And so it, it, that's very interesting that they're not reporting what has happened in those abortion procedures. Because, you know, Bill, abortion is still taking the lives of women. There's all this scaremongering about making abortion illegal is going to force women into dangerous procedures and, I mean, all of the lies and deception that the abortion lobby used to get abortion legalized in the beginning are still being used, even though they've been debunked, even though the people, some of the people who, you know, promoted those ideas have recanted them, but they're still trotting that out, that, you know, if we make it illegal, women are going, to, well, women are dying. Women, you know, we can look to Kayyamana Mangar, the victim of Gosnell, who allowed an unlicensed medical professional to give her anesthesia, which took her life. Uh, we can look at Tamika Shaw, who died at a Planned Parenthood in Chicago and whose family was given a, a payout that included a non-disclosure agreement. Um, there, Tanya Reeves, Tamika Shaw. There are women whose names we all ought to know. Eileen Hope Smith. Her mother didn't even know she was pregnant until her best friend who accompanied her to the abortion called her from the emergency room where she was sent when she was bleeding out, and she was already gone. I mean, there's no such thing as a safe abortion because it's a very unnatural procedure, and it mm-hmm. always involves bloodshed, the mother mm. and the child. And this is why it's wrong in, in God's sight, because it sheds innocent blood, and we're told you know, in the commandments that this is prohibited. So, yeah, they don't want health departments looking in on this, you know, the whole thing in Missouri, the whole thing in Texas. The abortion industry calls it trap laws when anybody tries to regulate what happens inside of a clinic. And the fact that there's no mandatory reporting means they're not accountable. So how would we even know? You know, there are groups like Operation Rescue that have made it their business. To monitor, literally standing outside the facilities, watching for ambulances and documenting lots and lots of trips to ERs and ambulances, you know. But uh, there's no there's no requirement that any abortion provider would report on that.
0: So, Kim, I'm wondering if abortion rights supporters, people that say I'm for abortion, are they just sort of buying the rhetoric uh, without really knowing the facts? Do you think there's a, a fair Amount of the uh, population out there that if they were better informed, they might change their opinion on it?
2: You know, I, I really wonder. I remember Cecile Richards saying that life begins at birth, which is a profoundly ignorant scientific opinion.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> it's profoundly ignorant. Every obstetrician knows he has two patients in a pregnant woman, and he's obliged by law to not do anything for the woman that would jeopardize the, her child. Right. So that's nonsense that there's no life there until birth. But this is what they've convinced themselves of, Bill, that somehow, you know, drawing a breath or being outside of the birth canal confers some new special status when it's exactly the same being that it was he or she was moments before. Mm -hmm. birth, And so. Uh, some are ignorant and buy the, those talking points, and some have their hearts hardened. Cecile Richards talks about using abortion as family planning. Elise Hogue of NARAL, you know, th- all of these leaders are um, unrepentant abortion uh, adopters, if you will. You know, they've had abortions and they haven't repented. And so what does that do when you have sinned and you don't repent? I mean, they might not see it as sin, but that doesn't matter. Right, if you're <laughs> if you didn't see the the speed limit, but you're driving 55 and a 40, you just broke the law. Mm-hmm. Right, they've broken God's law, and if their conscience aren't completely seared, you know their hearts are condemning them. And so, what do we do when we find ourselves in that double bind, Bill? You double down on your sin. You
0: double down. You have to because if you um, don't, then you really have to admit to killing a ba- killing your baby.
2: Right. And right. how do you live with and yourself? Now, and now, if your career and your whole life is built on that, you know, it's, that's gotta be a very shattering thing. And that's why it was so powerful to watch Abby Johnson's story and unplanned mm-hmm. because it was her worldview as well as her career, as well as, you know, everything, her cause. Right. And it all crumbled before her based on truth. And so, I mean, that's what we have to pray for that. God will break through, you know, I mean, he used people in Abby's case, and the Holy Spirit did the work that the Holy Spirit can do in such beautiful, awesome, winsome ways, you know. And, and that's what we need to strive for, to be beautiful and awesome and winsome and to, you know, um, speak truth, Yeah. <laughs> speak truth and welcome people. Kim, do
0: pro-abortion folks ever look for any passage in the Bible that's going to support their position?
2: Oh, yeah, Bill. I mean, and every time one does, they get trotted out. So there was a piece in the New York Times last week called When Black Lives Matters Meets Abortion or something like this. And it was in Missouri, where there's been a big battle over, you know, the health department, because some people reported, you know, a lot of violations that were happening at Planned Parenthood there, and they were temporarily closed. And it's just Missouri is a real battleground for abortion right now. There are pro life forces that are trying to make it a sanctuary state where no abortion is available anywhere legally in in Missouri. And um, so anyway, they go there and they quote these two um, African American pastors who call themselves Reverend, and one says outright, "Bill, it's killing, but you know we need it because of economic forces, so societal forces and pressures, you know." And it's like, wow, you're a you're a man of the of God's word. And he's, you know, talking about um, nuancing. (laughs) He doesn't try to nuance, thou shall not kill. He admits straight up that it's killing. But then he says, well, you know, God's just going to have to sort it out with the woman. Hmm. Right? I mean, this is the pro-choice clergy mantra that uh, God has given women moral agency, and therefore it's just a matter of conscience. And of course when there's another human being involved, that can't play. We we would never say, you know, well, if she murders, that's up to God and her conscience. We can't tell her not to murder, you know, using her hands, which are part of her body, right? Right. It's it's her body. You know, I mean, it reducts you out of serum because really it is quite absurd for them to take the position that they've taken. But they're, and of course the New York Times loved it. Oh, Christian, oh, Christian. When else do they love you and applaud you and celebrate you for being Christian? Right. Uh, definitely when you're pro-abortion, yeah. they, uh, they absolutely will. And i got to jump.
0: Thank you so much for doing the show. I look forward to another conversation with you.
2: Yeah, I hope it's soon, Bill.
0: Thanks a lot. Kim Cattola has been my guest. We'll take a short break, and then Chad Hennings is going to be with me. Can't wait. like a good resume here's one three time super bowl champion US Air Force fighter pl- pilot 45 missions in northern iraq that belongs to chad hennings he's my guest chad not to be dismissive but is that it
4: <laughs> yeah. no been there done that oh, yeah. I'll move on to more important things in life right like <laughs> husband father etc yeah right
0: right uh really cool to meet you uh, uh thank you for doing the show and I think you're a man of discipline. Love to hear more about uh just you you're you're growing up. Tell me the fam- tell me about your family.
4: Yeah, I uh I was very fortunate. I'm a farm boy from Iowa. Okay. I grew up on a family farm that has been in our family for over 140 years. So I grew up watching my father, and my grandfather, working side by side with them, with my brothers, um, learning the great American work ethic. And that's where I, I learned a lot about self-discipline, a lot about self-sacrifice, commitment, overcoming odds. Um, and I carried that, those principles, those virtues into playing athletics in high school, attending mm-hmm. the Air Force Academy, um, having achieved you know, some semblance of success both on the gridiron as well as in the classroom you know, going on to fly jets, um, uh, as you would mentioned earlier, 45 missions in Northern Iraq yeah. in the first go around in 1992. And then, you know, after their, our armed forces went through a reduction in force, which allowed me, they, not just for me, but across the board, they waived commitments of a lot of people. It's allowed me to get out early to go then play for the Dallas Cowboys for, for nine years. And, you know, I was just doing another interview here a few days ago and, and it, was reminiscent that what i think is kind of cool i flew my last mission in northern iraq in january february time frame of 1992 in that fa- same football season i played in the super bowl wow so that's kind of cool I that's thought.
0: really cool now did you grow up in a christian home or was there was faith important yes. in growing up
4: yes i grew up in a very conservative liturgical home okay Mis- missouri synod lutheran yeah. and a lot of truth um sunday school uh uh, confirmation classes, uh, very biblically disciplined. But at that same token, it, it you know, more the traditional faith that was light on relationship. And for me, my, my faith really took, where I, I'll say, I'll put it this way, where I took ownership as to who I was as a Christian.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And that I realized that there is a need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Part of my testimony is when I was playing for the Cowboys, my son, who was two and a half years old at the time, just finished. We had just a couple weeks after winning our third Super Bowl in four years with the Cowboys, my son gets really sick. And he, takes, he ends up having an autoimmune illness where his body was attacking itself. And this was the first time in my life where I wasn't able to control an outcome by my own performance, by my own strength, by my own abilities and wit and determination. And that's where I... I came to the end of myself and I realized God helped me. And you know, I pray that simple prayer of three words, God help me. Got on my knees and I realized that um, there's more to this walk. There's more to this walking, uh, walking through God's kingdom today than just attending church on Sundays or attending a Bible study that it's, it is truly a relationship. And how do we partner with him to be his, his, his mouthpiece to be his hands and feet to serving others and to, worshiping him and making his name known
0: mm. Chad, it sounds like you're not used to feeling uh desperate or out of control
4: <laughs> exactly, and I think for any man to feel desperate and out of control it's it's not a comfortable position to be in
0: I get that, but i'm I'm just looking at your your experiences and you know so you're growing up on a farm, you're working hard, you're probably eating eleven meals a day um, and you are probably giving God some thanks for some physical gifts he's been giving you. Am I right on that?
4: Well, yeah. And again, we just cut right to the chase. It was very superficial.
0: I get Scratching that. No, no, I get that. I get that. But it did, yeah. it did allow you to play pro ball. And also, you know, then you're a, a fighter pilot. So you've been able to, uh, kind of get things done, so to speak.
4: Amen. Amen yeah, to that. And I am. Yes. And I think that, um, all glory to God, you know, hindsight. Oh,
0: I know. We all give him glory all the time. That's all we do around here. (laughs) But I'm also uh, then getting to the point where you are seeing your, your young boy, your young, beautiful son uh, in a situation where you just, you fall on your knees and cry out to God. And it sounds like that was one of the great faith building uh, times of your life.
4: Yeah. And, and And as I alluded to before, for for us as men, we don't flail too well and we can't control an outcome that, you know, our job is is to fix things. You know, thus a lot of times the relationship rub with with our wives is, you know, they want us to just listen to be that sounding board at times. And we just want to fix it. You know, let's cut to the chase and just fix it. But that's another topic for another time. But yeah, that's I, I couldn't fix it. I couldn't make it better. And I can remember many times where, you know, my son would have these high spiking fevers and he'd have the pain all over his body, inflammation, you know, and he can't quite communicate what he's feeling. You know, he's two and a half, three years old mm. and he's crying, you know, daddy, what's wrong with me? Aww. Am I going to be okay? Mm-hmm. And, and, what, what do you t- tell him? I mean, what do you say? Yeah, yeah, buddy, you know, hang in there. It's And inside of me, I'm just being ripped apart. Oh, no doubt.
0: So. I'm just curious, if you don't mind me asking a couple other questions, uh, 45 um, missions in northern Iraq as a fighter pilot, do you have an experience or story that would just make us all kind of uh, go, whoa?
4: <laughs> well, it's, it, um, you know, truthfully, my 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 first mission, actually faring a jet, I was based in England, uh, RAF Bentwaters Woodbridge, which is in East Anglia, kind of 90 miles northeast of London. My squadron was a... St- uh, assigned my fighter wing was assigned to United States Air Forces Europe. Mm-hmm. We were there to flying the A ten Warthog to be a deterrent for you know the Soviets East German, in the Cold War when they would cross the Fulda Gap from East Germany to to West Germany, and we were flying tank killers at the time. And the you know the Cold War was winding down. We had basically won, but this whole thing with Iraq, or Iraq kicked off mm-hmm. where they invade Kuwait, and that wasn't. You'd think it'd be closer to fly from Europe to there, but the actual um, responsibility was CENTCOM, which is actually based here stateside in the U.S. So when the war initially kicked off, most of the squadrons from here in the U.S. flew over there. So we never got there till later in the game when there was about a week left of the actual ground war, which didn't last very long. So we, we got tapped... To fly into our mission was to fly into Insulik, Turkey. The missions were were to fly into northern Iraq to protect the Kurds. Saddam Hussein at the time was trying to quell insurrections between the the Shia population, the Kurds, and so you know he basically got his rear end kicked down to the south, and he was trying to, to quell all these. Potential insurrections popping up, and just a couple of years prior to this, he had dropped mustard gas in a couple of villages and towns, in for the Kurdish people. So we were there to protect them. So my initial ferry flight from England to to Incirlik, Turkey, about three fourths of the way into the mission, I lose an engine. I had to shut an engine down, which is an emergency procedure. For those mm-hmm. of your listeners that. Are, are familiar with aviation. The A-10 is a two-engine high-bypass turbofan uh, plane, with, uh, and, and it's underpowered to begin with, that when you lose an engine, it's it's not a good thing. And particularly flying over the Mediterranean, you're over a body of water, what do you do? So we ended up uh, diverting out of the four-ship where we had four A-10s that were ferrying the jets to Inserlic peeled off, and I had to divert into Sudabay um, Naval Air Station on the island of Crete. So that was, you know, tr- truthfully, as a young lieutenant with just a couple hundred hours in the jet, for my first big time f- fearing over a large body of water, getting ready to go into a combat role, I, I ended up having an emergency divert and lose an engine. And so I gained a lot of experience from that. But the, the rest of the time, for me, flying those missions into northern Iraq, f- and as a Christian with the biblical knowledge that I had flying across the Tigris and Euphrates river, seeing Mount Ararat, it was, it was a very surreal experience, particularly seeing it anywhere from 500 feet to 5,000 feet above the ground. It was beautiful from that uh, elevation.
0: That sounds absolutely thrilling. And well, it sounds like your first flight uh, was not without its adventure.
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, life is an adventure. Right? Well, yeah.
0: And you've got two engines and you lose one of them. Uh, that, that to me says, uh, I want out of the sky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I know nothing about flying. All right. Um, I'm just curious about the leadership you had when you were in the service, um, because I've, I have a feeling that the leadership style you have today, as you do discipleship and ministry, and I know you've joined the, the board of directors at Promise Keepers, and you also have a, a ministry called Wingman Ministries, which is a, yep. a ministry that concentrates on discipleship. So I'd love to hear uh, what kind of leadership that you were under and what you learned and how you pass it on.
4: You know, leadership, uh, you know, 101 is you have to lead from the front and not from the rear. You know, everything that, that Paul relayed to Timothy and Titus is it, it translates very well. You have to set the example. You have to be an individual above repute, um, um, you have to be a good husband, a good father. You have to set the example. And that's what leaders, good leaders do, is, is they set the example, not just on the job or on the work site, but uh, 24-7, 365 days a year. Um, but then leading from the front, and the second one is your people have to know that you care about them. Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing that it, they're not just there as a resource or an asset to be utilized they're they're human beings that you know they're made in the image of god that that um they have to be respected as such and and that's the other aspect and then the other thing is is to motivate from a motivation standpoint you've got to pull people together in their culture to to live to a higher noble purpose or cause it can't just be about okay, Bill, you got to do your job well, and, and Tom over here, you do your job well. No, it's got to, what is that team concept to pull them together and say, this is where we want to go. And that's what leaders do. They're, they're motivators. They, they hold people accountable. Um, you know, leadership, it's, it's not that complex. You know, if you just, those three things, lead from the front, people got to know that they care about them, and cast a vision.
0: hmm Did you find that kind of leadership when you played for the Cowboys from your coach?
4: You know, I've had all, believe me, (laughs) all kinds of leadership styles, either in the military or, you know, on the football field. Mm -hmm. I've had those coaches that could motivate me to to play that extra play, to to go above and beyond. I didn't think I had anything left in my tank, quote unquote, tank more. I was I was totally depleted of energy, whatever. But they found that way. You know, and then I've also had those guys that couldn't motivate a guy dying from dehydration of water, you know, to take a drink of water. Mm-hmm. And and same thing on the, on the uh, you know, in the military. You know, the military as well as, you know, the football field, well, that's playing for the Cowboys. It's a microcosm of society. There are good leaders, bad leaders. And there's good coaches, bad coaches, good commanders, bad commanders. And, you know, you see pretty quick when, when people that are serving under you, they, they – they're pretty you're pretty transparent in the fact that people can see pretty quickly does this guy care about me or is he just trying to use me to, to climb the ladder to get to the next job
0: That's really interesting. Um, Chad I'm going to take a little break. Chad Hennings is my guest, and what a story he's got we're going to um, take 90 seconds and then uh, continue with Chad Hennings in just a minute <laughs> Welcome back to the show. I have Chad Hennings on the on the studio line. He is uh, a former um, defensive tackle and played uh, with three Super Bowl teams, and also was a uh, Air Force fighter pilot. And I just googled his picture during the break, and and he turns out he's good looking too. So, Chad, this is not working for me. <laughs>
4: Uh, You're making me blush.
0: That's okay. So let me ask you about uh, Promise Keepers. This took a little bit of a a pause. Now it's back in in full force. What's going on with Promise Keepers?
4: You talk about a time where in our culture where men need to see, to be inspired and to uh, see leaders that will step out and say, it's okay to be a man. It's okay to be masculine. And help them define in our culture today what biblical masculinity is, and to promote discipleship and, and mentorship. What a time for promise keepers to resurrect, and that's what we're wanting to kick off in 2020, July 31st of 2020 at AT&T Stadium. You know, here in the, the North Texas region, um, I'm excited to be a part of it because. Uh, we get calls – I get calls from, from men all over the country too that you know, they're, they're tired of being beaten down. They're tired of, of having to kind of take a back step or a, a back seat to what culture tells them it means to be a man mm-hmm. and um, you know, times such as these for good men to, to step forward and to say this is who we are this is who God professes us to be. And this is the torch and the banner that we're going to march forward with. And what a great time to resurrect promise keepers and to kick it off again. And we've received a lot of great comments from people all over the country about when they attended a promise keepers event with their fathers back in the early nineties or the mid nineties. And now they want to take their sons and, that's what we need. We need that multi-generational discipleship mm-hmm. to continue to pass the torch, to to tell men this is it's okay to be masculine. It's okay to be ma- a man. This is what it means to be that good husband, to be the good father, to be the good steward, to set the example, to love Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Carry that banner forward, and that's – man, he got me fired up. Ah, I can but, tell. I, mean, I can the, tell, Chad. That, I love it. That, that's what we're about. And, and that's why I joined, you know, when Ken Harrison, the president, CEO, or the CEO had asked me to join, I was like, man, what do I got to do? I'll, I got to tell I'll, you, that guy is wingman. impressive. Yeah, he is.
0: he is so impressive. I had him on the show and, and I was just amazed at how smart he was and how passionate he was. And if he called you and coaxed you into being part of it, I can see how you jumped
4: yeah, and you want to be around men that have a pur- again leadership, men that have a purpose, yeah, men that have a solid vision, and and you know particularly when you're you're professing the Holy Spirit and and wanting impacting others for the greater good, what better cause?
0: Yeah, uh, Chad, talk about how important men need to prioritize their not only their own spiritual health but their family while they're out trying to uh, win the world and pursue success. <laughs>
4: Hey, I've learned those lessons as we talked about early in in our interview that I was all about pursuing the world. Right. Success, success, success over significance. And at times, you know, my family suffered. I can tell you many times where I, you know, whether you're flying a mission or when we had kids playing for the Cowboys that, you know, I was home physically, you know, after a game. But I wasn't there right. um, mentally or emotionally because I was replaying the game in my mind. I was thinking about, okay, what I had to do the next, next game or the next practice. And and so many times that men, we've received our identity and our significance through what we do. And, and what we do does not define who we are. Mm-hmm. And that's where for me is what I'm about here is about helping men discover their identity, who they are as, as men in Christ. You know, seek the help that you need. There's a lot of guys, we talk about military men and women, Our military men, coming back from downrange, serving in the military, that have post-traumatic stress, that they have had some traumatic event that has happened to them. Well, you know, and realistically, we have a lot of men, whether they served in the military or not, that are walking around that have had a lot of unfortunate things that either they've done to themselves or are things that others have done to them that they're walking wounded. And we need to get men healthy, first and foremost. You have to have, you know, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. you got to love yourself first. And there's a lot of guys that have self-loathing, shame, etc. around them because of those things that have happened to them, whether they brought on themselves or others. Mm -hmm. And then once they find that aspect of who they are in Christ, Man, then they're ready to take on – then they can take on the world because they have proper identity. Then they can be that husband. They can be that father. They can be that mentor, that discipler to go out and impact others for Christ. But, you know, it's a progression. And, you know, first of all, we got to help men discover who the true Jesus Christ is, who our Lord and Savior is to seek that salvation experience. But now that's where the work begins. That's where the fun begins because you're living between the already and the not yet.
0: And you will never know who you really are until you know who you are in Christ.
4: Amen. Amen to who you are. You got to know whose you are. Exactly. You're either of the world or you're of Christ.
0: Because, Chad, you know the way us guys talk. So, hey, Chad, nice to meet you. What do you do? I mean, I'm instantly (laughs) asking you to identify by your success or lack of success. Because if you're successful and you've been in three Super Bowls and you're a fighter pilot, I might want to get to know you. You sound like a cool guy.
4: Well, yeah, but you know what? That's not who I am. I'm I a get it. In Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I and that's, when I get the chance to tell guys that, it's just like guys. When I when I talk to different church groups around the country, that's part of my whole spiel. My shtick is just that. Guys, look, it, I've been able to do all this, but I've suffered in the fact that you know my son suffered. I couldn't overcome this. I need a savior. I've been able to make money, I've been able to achieve the worldly success in the eyes of the world, but it's meaningless. It means nothing. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that lasts is that aspect of the assurance of our salvation in our Lord and Savior.
0: Yeah, I wish people would understand that what you just said is absolutely true because there's so many people listening that go, "Well, yeah, but if I had three Super Bowl rings and and the kind of success Chad had, then maybe I'll be able to say money doesn't mean that much and and career success doesn't mean that much.
4: Well, I can tell them I can introduce them to several <laughs> athletes over the years that have had three Super Bowl rings, that had a lot of money here today, and it was gone the next day. I know. I mean, literally, because they didn't have that identity established as to who they are. And um, it, it's not lasting. No, it's not. It's not lasting. Yeah.
0: Uh, Let's talk a little bit about what it means to live a life of of excellence, because I think that's that's something we all want. We all want to do everything we do with excellence. We want to be using our gifts that God's given us to glorify him. And so how do we pursue and and live that life, Chad? Because it sounds like you've done really a nice job of it.
4: Well, first and foremost, you have to realize that living excellence, it's not a destination. You never arrive. Mm-hmm. It's a continual process. Just like your walk with Christ, it's your, your faith. It's, it's as shallow as the shores of the ocean or the depths, the deep depths. And it's, there's always room for a quote, quote unquote, room for improvement. But with that comes that aspect of, I you know, identity, who you are. And then after that, it's the aspect of realizing it's, I can say three things to be your best self every day, it's to be an encourager to others for them to do the same. But then the organizations that you're affiliated with that may be at your work, it may be your family, any other uh, charity or nonprofits or pair ministries that you're involved with, encourage those organizations to rise to a higher noble purpose or cause. If it's faith based, hey, it's all about Jesus Christ telling others about the saving grace and worshiping God. You know, it's 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 a lifestyle. As I said, it's a process and it's not just mouthing the words, but it's, it's taking the actions. And, you know, as I'm reflective just upon that, there's so many times where it's like when they say, um, sharing the gospel, use words when necessary. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing in, in living that life of excellence. It's your actions matter more so than, than your words, your, your actions have more of an impact than your words will ever, in and of by themselves.
0: Yeah, that old, its that old saying: "What you're doing speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying."
4: Exactly. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, you had a nice career in the Air Force. Nice career in the NFL. If you could only pick one, which one would you have picked?
4: I'd go back and fly jets in a heartbeat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Even when one engine tanks?
4: Yeah. Okay. Now, amen. Yeah. Yes, I would. Yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat.
0: Yeah, and your uh, your young two and a half year old son who had that autoimmune issue, how did he come out of that?
4: He's twenty six years old, graduated from college, gainfully employed. Yay! And um, he's he's doing great. He still has some uh, physical ailments that uh, preclude him from you know, being quote unquote, totally normal from a physical standpoint, Mm -hmm. but he's, he's a great young man and he's, he's doing good things. He loves the Lord and I couldn't be more proud of him.
0: Yeah. And after church on Sunday, do you still like watching football?
4: I will. I'm, I'm, you know, truthfully, I'm, I'm more of a college football fan. Okay, I am a football fan. Well, I, from college football yeah. I, I fly my Air Force Academy Falcons, but then I'm also okay. a, a Big Ten fan growing up in Iowa, I was a University oh, of sure. Iowa Hawkeye fan, so yeah. i I'm, I'm I follow the Big Ten more than you know the SEC or or the Big Twelve or
0: Yeah. And just a, a a little final plug for Promise Keepers, if if I want to put something on my calendar and even travel to go somewhere, is there a, a Promise Keepers website I can just go to?
4: promisekeepers.org and realize two guys that I think the tickets are are going to go on sale August 1st. They are going to go on sale, but I think they're going to go out fast. Okay. So if, if any of your listeners, you can pre-order them right now on the Promise Keepers website, promisekeepers.org. But this is going to be an experience like none other. Yeah. And for those of your listeners that have ever attended a Promise Keepers event in the past, one of the biggest takeaways that a lot of guys say is the worship to hear, you know, 30, 40,000 guys worship together is a phenomenal experience. But when you get 72,000 like we're going to have at AT&T Stadium, it's going to take it to a whole new level. Well, wow.
0: Chad, thank you so much for doing the show. It's Been really nice meeting you.
4: Hey, appreciate it. All right. Take care.
0: Yep. Chad Hennings has been my guest. You can head over to uh, promisekeepers.org to learn more about that event. We'll take a little break, and then Dr. Alex McFarland will be joining us. can hardly wait.